So many of us have heard the term be present or stay in the now. But what does that really mean? Many individuals talk about meditation as a tool to become present. But from a scientific point of view, I want to offer you a new way to understand what it means to be fully present and how you can use your meditation practice to transcend your body, your environment, and time in order to reach the sweet spot of the generous present moment. I'm your host, Dr. Joe Dispenza, and in the previous episode, we went into depth on how change works in the brain and body. But how do we get really focused on this change? In this episode, we're going to demystify meditation and show you how to get into the present moment so you can focus on creating a new personality and thus a new personal reality. This will help you understand a fundamental part of becoming supernatural, which is to get past the analytical mind. Let's start with the first question. What does the word meditation mean? Now the word meditation, if you research the symbol in Tibetan, the word literally means to become familiar with. Now, familiarization means then if 95% of who you are by the time you're 35 years old is a set of hardwired thoughts, unconscious, automatic habits and behaviors, and reflexive emotional reactions that define our personality. That means 95% of who we are typically runs in an unconscious or subconscious program. Then the first start to change is becoming conscious of your unconscious thoughts, beginning to become aware of your automatic actions and behaviors, and when you begin to notice how you're feeling, as you're beginning to observe and become familiar with those states of mind and body, you are now no longer the program living unconsciously. Now you're becoming conscious of your unconscious self. So think about this. Many people quit in their meditation practice because they don't think they can control their mind. Well, if you're thinking 60 to 70,000 thoughts in one day, the majority of those thoughts are the same thoughts as the day before. And they're hardwired, automatic attitudes and thoughts that are typically happening behind the scenes of your awareness. Thoughts like, I'll never change, it's too hard, my life isn't very good, I'll never find love in my life, I'll never find the right job. These are the thoughts that people think constantly every day. So then when those thoughts start coming to the surface in their meditation practice, the moment they start realizing they can't control those thoughts, they give up. And they buy into the belief that they're not very good at meditation. But let's start by framing this a little differently. The moment you become conscious of those unconscious thoughts, and you decide not to put your attention 
and your energy behind them. That's a victory. In other words, the moment you start noticing those thoughts and instead of reacting to them, just observing them, you are beginning to know thyself. If you notice then in your meditation practice that your body is in a program and it's busy every single day doing a lot of things and it wants to get up and go do something, it wants to begin to habituate an autopilot and you become aware that your body wants to do that. And instead of responding to the body as the mind and getting up and quitting, if you can settle it back down into the present moment, that's a victory as well. Because you're saying then that your body is no longer the mind, you're the mind, and those victories add up. Every time you work on overcoming some aspect of your old personality, there's a liberation of energy. And we've measured this on students all around the world because as they keep returning the body back into the present moment, the body is the servant to the mind and just like training any animal, sooner or later it's going to acquiesce. And when it does, there is a liberation of energy and that's available energy for you to use to heal. That's available energy for you to begin to create a new future. So then we said in the last episode that the process of change is breaking the habit of the old self and reinventing the new self. It's pruning synaptic connections and sprouting new connections. So it makes sense then if you are going to transition from the old self to the new self and you decide what thoughts do I want to fire and wire in my brain. And you begin to put all of your energy in installing those thoughts neurologically in your brain. The act of firing and wiring over and over again begins to assemble new neurological networks. Now neural networks are gangs of neurons that have been fired and wired together that relate to a thought, a memory, a behavior. The body begins to assemble new circuits so it becomes more automatic. So it makes sense then if you keep firing and wiring those thoughts and they begin to assemble into automatic neurological networks and you do it over and over again, those thoughts are going to begin to become familiar to you. Then the thought in your mind literally becomes the experience and experience enriches the brain. Now, let's look at another way to understand meditation. If we know that we're living in a state of the familiar past, or we're living in the state of the predictable future, and the familiar past represents the known, and the predictable future represents the known as well, and the sweet spot of the generous present moment represents the unknown, then in order for us to truly begin to make significant changes where our body isn't influencing our mind, where our environment isn't controlling our feelings and our thoughts, then it makes sense then that the first step that we have to use in order to meditate 
is to sit our bodies down and close our eyes and disconnect from everything known in our outer environment. Less sensory information is coming into the brain. Now, all of a sudden, your inner world starts becoming more real than your outer world. If you can sit your body down and like training that animal, saying to your body, you stay, I'm going to feed you, you can check your emails, you can check your texts, you can post anything on Facebook, you're gonna get a shower, you're gonna get a cup of coffee, but right now, you're no longer the mind, I'm the mind. Your body's in a program, and where you place your attention is where you place your energy. And the moment you're sitting in your meditation and you start putting your attention on the emotions, familiar emotions that are connected to the past, the moment you start thinking about those memories and feeling those emotions, it makes sense then that you're siphoning your attention and energy out of the present moment into the past. And if you're sitting there thinking about the phone calls you have to make, the meetings you have to go to, the shopping list you have to get to, those are all known things in your predictable future reality. And every time you put your attention on some predictable future, you're siphoning energy out of the present moment into the predictable future. And now your energy is completely commingled with that line of time. So then when you become aware that your attention is on those emotions and you become aware and return your attention back to the present moment, you're disinvesting your attention and energy out of your past present reality and you're calling it back to you. Every time you do that, it's a victory and those victories add up. Now, the stronger the emotion that you feel for some problem or condition in your life, the more you pay attention to the cause. Now, if where you place your attention is where you place your energy, if you're sitting in your meditation and you're feeling a very strong emotion that's connected to some problem or some person, we could say then that you're giving your very life force away to that person or that problem. And that's available energy that you could be using to create a new future. So then as you sit in your meditation practice and your body is used to at eight o'clock in the morning, checking emails and getting frustrated and judgmental, your body's gonna notice that you're off schedule. And it's looking for those chemicals. If you're aware that your body is doing that, and you settle your body back down into the present moment and you lower the volume to that emotion, you're going to take your attention off that person or that condition in your life. And yes, it takes a greater level of awareness, a greater level of energy to begin to break those energetic bonds with everything in your past present reality that you're connected to emotionally. So then when a person finally starts to overcome those emotions, all of a sudden they start calling energy back to them and they begin to build their own electromagnetic field. And now they have available energy to design a new destiny.
So think about meditation as a form to get beyond your body, to get beyond your environment. And what is your environment made of? People, objects, places, everything material in your three-dimensional reality. If you keep your attention on everything that's known, you're going to create more of the known. So then as you disconnect from your body and you get beyond all the elements known in your outer environment, and you keep working for the sweet spot of the generous present moment, what you're saying is, I want to begin to change the way I think and I want to be able to create something new. So meditation then allows us to move from living unconsciously as a victim. In other words, allowing our outer world to control our thoughts and feelings to consciously becoming the creator of your life so that your thoughts and feelings begin to produce outcomes in your outer environment. And so then, if you do this properly, we should see changes in your body, in your environment, and in some future time. Now, the purpose of meditation is to get beyond your analytical mind. Now, it separates your conscious mind from your subconscious mind is your analytical mind. When you're born, you're totally subconscious mind. And we know this to be the case because children's brainwaves for the first six years of their life are in a very slow state and it makes them very suggestible to information. In fact, they have no analytical facilities, so all the information that they're exposed to goes into their subconscious mind unedited. For example, big boys don't cry. Little girls should be seen and not heard. Money is the root of all evil. And when children listen to this information without analyzing it, it begins to lay the foundation of who they will become later on in their life, subconsciously. So of 95% of who we are by the time we're 35 years old is our subconscious mind, that it's entirely possible that children become programmed at a very early age into some subconscious behaviors that they're not even aware of because of things they've seen or been exposed to with their parents or primary caregivers. So then, this circle represents your mind. And you learn by these different positive and negative identifications and associations that give rise to your habits and your behaviors. A good example of a positive identification or association is when you're young and you're hungry or uncomfortable and you cry out. And the moment you get fed or the discomfort has been removed, you learn to associate subconsciously crying out with being fed. So every time you're uncomfortable or you're hungry and you cry out, that behavior produces a response called getting fed. And so a good example of a negative association is when you're young and you're exploring your environment and all of a sudden you walk over to the stove and you stick your finger in the flame the moment you notice a change in your internal state, 
you pay attention to the cause of it, all of a sudden you begin to associate that pain with that white object in the kitchen. And all of a sudden you start developing a behavior around it. And these positive and negative identifications and associations begin to lay the foundation of our subconscious habits and behaviors. Now, because brain waves are changing and the child is interacting more in the environment, and as the child, by trial and error, is noticing different feelings or different experiences that produce different emotions, when they start feeling new emotions, they begin to pay attention to the cause. Their brain waves start to speed up and they move into what's called alpha brainwave patterns. And they begin to develop their analytical mind. Now the analytical mind is exactly what separates the conscious mind from the subconscious mind. And as children's brain waves change because they're interacting with their environment, somewhere between the ages of six and nine, they begin to completely form their analytical mind. Once that analytical mind is formed, they begin to divide the conscious mind from the subconscious mind. Now, as we've been saying all along, your conscious mind is 5% of your total mind. Your conscious mind is made up of things like logic and reasoning, which gives rise to your faith, your will, and your creativity. Now, your subconscious mind, as we've been saying all along, is made up of 95% of who you are by the time you're 35 years old, and those are all those hardwired attitudes, unconscious beliefs and perceptions, subconscious habits and behaviors, and that makes up the majority of who you are. Now, the analytical mind is always busy working. The analytical mind is important for us because we need our analytical mind to survive in our life. And because the brain is divided in half, the analytical mind is always weighing past against future, right against wrong, known against unknown. And because the division of the brain allows us to navigate with our analytical mind in our lives, we need it. We need our analytical mind when we're learning new things. We need our analytical mind when we're navigating in our life ethically. We need our analytical mind. We need to make decisions and choices that are really important. But when you throw in the hormones of stress and the brain becomes aroused because of the emergency state the brain is in, we become overly analytical. When people are analyzing their lives within some disturbing emotion that are derived from the hormones of stress, and those emotions are familiar emotions from the past, by thinking in the box of the past, they drive their brain further into a more aroused state. And they're moving further away from moving into those subconscious states where they can begin to make change. So the whole purpose of meditation then is to get beyond the analytical mind and enter the operating system where those subconscious programs exist. So then we can begin to take limited beliefs, unconscious habits and behaviors, and begin to reprogram them, become more self-serving or more effective. 
Now you can't change the subconscious mind with your conscious mind. You have to get beyond the analytical mind in order to do that. So some people have a very thin veil between their conscious mind and their subconscious mind. And the thinner the veil between your conscious mind and subconscious mind, the more you are suggestible to information. In other words, just like the child, that information can enter the subconscious mind and begin to have an effect on us. So we want to be more suggestible during the meditative process because we want to accept believe and surrender to certain thoughts without analyzing it so we can begin to program our subconscious mind. So then others have a very thick veil or thick barrier between their conscious mind and their subconscious mind and they're less suggestible to information. And suggestibility is your ability to accept, believe and surrender to information without analyzing it. So information doesn't pass through the analytical mind as easily. So then the more analytical you are, the less suggestible you are to information. The less analytical you are, the more suggestible you are to information. When you learn how to control your brain waves and move into a state of trance, you pause in your brain and your brain kind of moves into stasis. And in that state where you're not thinking and analyzing and you're in a state of trance, you're more suggestible to information and you move your brain waves from the thinking conscious mind into a slower brainwave pattern in the subconscious mind. It also makes sense that as you increase your brain waves, you're all of a sudden increasing your analytical facilities because you're thinking and analyzing more and your brain is less trance and you're less suggestible to information. So in the meditative process, as we begin to reprogram those subconscious states of mind and body, what we want to do is learn the skill, learn the formula, apply the tools to practice getting beyond the analytical mind so that you can begin to make those subconscious changes that become more permanent. So when you're living in a subconscious program, just like a program on your computer, the moment you press play or start, it runs automatically. That's exactly what happens subconsciously. And many people have subconscious programs that are defining their lives. Even though their conscious mind wants something else, their subconscious mind may be sabotaging their outcome. So then we have to begin to reprogram that subconscious mind and begin to write a new program. So now that I've laid out the basics of the model of meditation, and how you can transcend your analytical mind, your body, your environment, as well as the familiar past and the predictable future in time in order to create a new life. Shouldn't we be meditating on a daily basis? And we live in two states of mind. We either live in a state of survival or we live in a state of creation. And living in survival is living in stress. And the majority of people in this world spend the majority of their time living in stress and living in survival. 
In that state, it's impossible to create. In the next episode, we will delve into survival versus creation and how you can further understand stress and what it can do to you and your life. I'm your host, Dr. Joe Dispenza for Rewired, and I hope to see you in the next episode where we go beyond the ordinary into the extraordinary. Oh,